the chronology of Easter Sunday morning and the various comings and goings from the empty tomb make a fascinating study because that chronology is not clearly spelled out in any one of the Gospels. In fact, there's even a contribution from outside the four Gospels. Well, we'll look at all of that this week on Beyond the Notes. Yes, my slight head cold stays with me, so if I cough a time or two during this, well, there's just no way I can talk this long without coughing, so that's just going to kind of go with it. Um, Newsflash, human beings, including me, cough. And speaking of me, this is Pastor Russell, and I'm glad you're with us on this episode of Beyond the Notes. We uh, took a look, as one would expect on Easter Sunday morning, at the uh, Matthew account of the... uh, moment when the empty tomb is discovered. In Matthew, um, it is highlighted that the women, women who came to the tomb in that early, early dawn of that Sunday morning to continue the process of, of anointing the body of Jesus, or so they thought, uh, were the first to discover the empty tomb. And each of the four Gospels touch on, they all, of course, highlight the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is an essential component of the Christian Gospel. But they all uh, tell it from a different perspective, from the, uh, each of the four Gospels. And there's even, when we get sort of past Easter into the uh, other post-resurrection appearances of Jesus between Resurrection Sunday and the Ascension 40 days later, even 1 Corinthians weighs in. Paul gives us a, a catalog in 1 Corinthians 15. So what I thought I'd do this week, and this is not all that Uh, heavy for devotional application. Sometimes we are on Beyond the Notes, and other times we just kind of poke around on an interesting Bible topic. This is more the latter. But I think I want to walk you through the the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, Easter Sunday and beyond. Uh, I'll give you some scripture references as we go. Before dawn on that Sunday morning, there was an earthquake, very localized, supernatural, Just as the localized supernatural earthquake that accompanied the death of Jesus Christ on that Friday afternoon, there was an earthquake that accompanied his resurrection. His resurrection occurred in those pre-dawn hours, and he left the tomb without unsealing it. That doesn't mean that his resurrection wasn't physical. It was. He was physically, bodily resurrected, but between the capabilities of a resurrection body, about which we don't really know all that much, and the sheer capabilities, because let's, let's not forget he's God. Uh, he leaves the tomb physically, bodily, and actually without it being unsealed. Sometime later, the angel removes the stone and the guards are knocked out. And that, that narrative is in Matthew chapter 28, verses 2, 3, and 4. About sunrise, a group of the women visit the tomb. They have... Uh, begun the process late Friday before the Sabbath began at sundown Saturday of of anointing his body and and basically the uh, equivalent of embalming. They did not do the full modern embalming steps, but they would coat the body in aromatic spices and things to to basically show some respect for the for the one that had passed away. And they visit the tomb 
hoping that they can get it opened up and, and do that work on, on the body of Jesus. That, that moment is captured in Mark 16, 2 through 8, Luke 24, 1 through 8, John 20, verse 1, and Matthew 28, verses 5 through 8. The women uh, encounter the angel there and are told to, to go report to the apostles that Jesus is not there, that he's no longer dead, that he is alive. And so they report to the apostles, and, and Peter and John race to the tomb. The story is told in Luke 24, verses 9 through 12. And it's told in, a, in, in a maybe a more intimate way by John himself in John 20, verses 2 through 10, where we get the detail that uh, Peter and John, as they run to the tomb, John outruns Peter and gets there first, but then pauses at the entrance to the tomb. And Peter, all ever impetuous, blows past him and actually enters the tomb first. And then John catches up with him in the tomb, and that's all in John chapter 20, verses 2 through 10. Hey, I'm going to interrupt myself right quick and, and uh, first be glad that this is in a podcast format because I'm firing a lot of scripture references at you, and you're going to be able to pause and go backward and forward and, and run these down to the degree you are interested in doing so. But let me go ahead and sort of shamelessly plug a resource that I think ought to be in the library of every student of the Gospels. And I know, I know, it's old school. It's a book, and it's made of paper. And mine mine is actually rebound in that my original binding on the book, the one that I've owned since the early 80s, was kind of falling apart. So I took it to a book binder and had it redone and restitched and all that because the content of the book, including a lot of notes from my own seminary study, is kind of valuable to me. The book is, is a harmony of the Gospels. Um, now, in my view, it's the definitive harmony of the Gospels. There's a lot of harmonies of the Gospels that are out there. And a harmony of the Gospels basically places the, the story of Jesus across the four Gospels in parallel columns, if you will, where you get a chronological overview and where more than one Gospel addresses the same moment. You have those in parallel, and the thing is arranged chronologically. And, and issues of, of harmonization where, okay, this has got to be made to fit within this, and perhaps even some explanation is called for. Uh, in a good harmony, those will be dealt with skillfully. This is an old harmony. Uh, the the uh, author is A.T. Robertson. Now, those are initials, A.T., and if I were any sort of scholar, I'd know what they stand for, and I don't. Uh, one of the greatest New Testament and Greek minds that Baptists ever produced. The original copyright on the thing is 1922. So this year it's a hundred years old. And if I had a if I had a friend going off to seminary or Bible college, and I was going to give them a going away present and give them one and only one book, I would give them Robertson's Harmony. I value it that profoundly. And the things that I'm sharing today, the work to share what I'm sharing today has been done by Robertson in his harmony. And if you want to uh, add a really valuable Bible study resource to your own library, and again, the Beyond the Notes podcast is not about selling books, uh, and I don't, I'm, I'm assuming it's available on Amazon, other places. I really commend to you Robertson's harmony. Well, the women report to the apostles, and Peter and John race to the tomb. Right after that, Jesus appears again to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. It's in Mark 16, verses 9 through 11, and John 20, 11 through 18. Uh, 
And for those of you who have just heard me cite Mark 16, 9 through 11, I know that some of you know that there are issues with Mark chapter 16 beyond chapter 8. And you need to know that I know that as well. But for purposes of our, our harmonization this morning, I'm going to track along with that later content in the Gospel of Mark. And perhaps on some future uh, podcast, we can talk about the long ending of Mark. But for today, we'll stay with it. Jesus then appears to another group of women briefly in Matthew 28, verses 9 through 10. At this point, we're, we're getting on into the day on Sunday. And Jesus departs from the area of the, the tomb itself and spends a good part of the afternoon on the road to Emmaus with two uh, disciples that are not a part of the twelve story is told in Mark 16, verses 12 and 13, and a somewhat longer version in Luke 24, 13 through 32. Then somewhere in the course of the late afternoon, Jesus appears to Peter by himself, one-on-one. -on -one. We know very little about that conversation. It's touched upon in Luke 24, verses 33 through 35, and mentioned in a list of post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. It's mentioned by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 5. That evening, as the first Easter ends, he appears to the gathered disciples. <coughs> Obviously, Judas Iscariot, no longer in the picture, and Thomas missing that first meeting of Jesus with his disciples. It's in Mark 16, 14, and there's a, another telling of it in Luke 24, 36 through 43, and John 20, 19 through 25. Thomas missed that meeting, and so we have one week later, Jesus reappears to the disciples in the middle of Thomas expressing his concerns, so-called doubts. We we, uh, we have hung on Thomas, the nickname Doubting Thomas. I don't think he deserves it. I think if you look at the testimony of Thomas throughout the Gospels, there are lots of other things you can say about his character, but it, at any rate, um, he appears to the disciples again in John 20, verses 26 through 31, this meeting also mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15, 5. After that point, we, we know that there are 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension. We know that Jesus spends that 40 days uh, encouraging and, and discipling his disciples. The specific appearances that we have documented in that period are an appearance in John 21 by the Sea of Galilee, the, that classic moment where he fully restores and charges the uh, Apostle Peter regarding the time and manner of Peter's death. Still later on a mountain in Galilee, he appears to his disciples and about 500 additional people. This is the occasion where he gives the Great Commission, and it's in Mark 16, verses 15 through 18, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, and 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Somewhere in here also, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 7, he has another sort of intimate meeting with his half-brother James uh, in uh, this time. He just met with James. We don't know what that conversation was about, but it's an amazing moment to think about because recall that prior to the resurrection, his half-brothers did not believe in him as Messiah, uh, though they certainly would have had every reason to. Uh, and it's gracious of the Lord 
to to spend that time with one that he probably literally well, he did literally grow up with back all the way to their ch- shared childhood and the uh, various times in the 40 days before the ascension according to Luke 24 44 through 49 and Acts 1 3 through 8 he met with his disciples and talked to them about about the coming kingdom of God and then of course he ascended and that's most detail recorded in Acts 1 verses 9 through 12 but it's mentioned in Luke 24 50 through 53 and back in verses 19 and 20 of Mark 16 well that's all good stuff and it's fun to run it down and it's fun to check the harmonization but let's not miss the big the big truth in the midst of all that um, digging I had a seminary professor one time who was fond of talking about the bird's eye view and the worm's eye view sometimes the worm's eye view is good because at the worm's eye view at that very basic diving down into stuff and sort of getting our claws into it we we see that the detail is intact and the word of God holds up. But it's not a good idea to miss the, the big story. And the big story is Jesus was dead and then he wasn't. And it is the central apologetic proof of Christianity. It is essential to our faith, according to Romans ten nine, which I quoted on Easter Sunday morning. If we're going to be followers of Christ, we must believe in the actual, literal, physical resurrection of Jesus. Well, I hope your Easter season was a blessing. I hope that your, your time in God's Word is rich, and I appreciate your joining us this week on this episode of Beyond the Notes. <laughs>